Well, hello everyone, and do you have your Bibles open? And just know again, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. We are in such a wonderful study in the book of Acts, and we are really starting to see the church grow and, and people coming to know Christ and the filling of God's Holy Spirit and how he's changing lives. And Stephen, his life story, such a beautiful last couple of chapters. So um, would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, as we go into this chapter, Lord, may we so be in tune that these are the acts of the apostles. When we know Christ, then you expect us to act. And so, Lord, may we learn how to give out what we have been so freely given. Lord, people need to know, Father, it's so true, people need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord and how are they going to know unless we are willing to tell them? Lord, thank you for these examples of these, of these apostles, of these deacons. And Lord, we want to learn. We really do. We don't want to disappoint you. You have done so much for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, like I said, last week we spent, uh, uh, I mean, it was a lot of verses, 60 verses, but weren't you just so taken by the calmness, the detailed speech of Stephen and how I went back and, and went through Genesis and Exodus and the story of the patriarchs and Moses and even David and Solomon and how right to the detail um, Stephen was making sure that those leaders were looking back and almost saying to them, how can you not see this? How can you still be so stiff-necked and stubborn? And so then we watch as the end of the chapter um, happened in Acts 7 and how he just, he knew that that his life was um, going to end. And so he kind of pulled out all the stops and and he said, you know, our, our dwelling our, the Lord's dwelling is in within our heart. He dwells within us. He does not live in a house made with hands. And so many of those leaders put so much in that exterior building and, and where they worshipped and how they worshipped. And, and do you remember last week when I said real worship is when you're willing to be obedient. And then when he just kind of... Um, just called them stiff-necked, uncircumcised hearts and ears. In other words, they won't, they wouldn't cut away from their own self. They wouldn't they wouldn't go beyond what they wanted to see the truth. And because of that, Stephen then said, "You killed the righteous one. You murdered him." And of course, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. And what a contrast between the behavior of the religious leaders versus a person who loved his Savior so much, but also was so filled with God's Spirit, utilizing what God intended for the Holy Spirit to do in us. And that's such a shame when we don't utilize God's Spirit because we are so limited and yet God's Spirit can help us do what we can't do for ourselves. And Stephen was facing his death, and he was facing their, their um, terrible actions of gnashing teeth, and just they were out of control. I mean, what a sight. But then look, then he saw heaven open. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus giving him a standing ovation because of his life of obedience. I just thought, oh, I just love that ending. I love the last part of Acts 7. And, you know, here they are. They're dragging him out, and they start to stone him. And, and then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he went to sleep. And he woke up in glory. Isn't that such a, a, a thought that he went to sleep 
And then he woke up in the presence of Jesus. And, and then we, we begin um, the next chapter, Acts chapter 8, and, and we see that Saul was there, and he was giving approval. Now remember, Saul is the apostle Paul, but Saul is his Jewish name. When he turns into the apostle to the Gentiles, they change his name to Paul, because that is a Gentile name. Even though he always was a Jew, and he was always very, very thankful for his heritage. But that's the difference in Saul and Paul. But right now, we see him totally as Saul, because he is he is out to, um, well, he is definitely out to get rid of this new church, this this the way, the followers of Jesus. And so as we begin this, listen, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So again, um, Acts is a very visual book, and so you can you can see that that this persecution now set the church into going into the different areas that Jesus commissioned the apostles and this is how this is how he chose to do it now you know it's so easy when things are going good to not change anything and um but the, this gospel had to keep moving and it had to go beyond Jerusalem it had to go beyond Judea and it had to, it had to start to get into this the Samaria area well, how is that going to happen? Well, look how the Lord will use suffering. I mean, if you've heard me say this once, you've heard me say it so many times, that we forget that the Lord can use our suffering. It's like I can almost hear him say, I can use this. He can take all things and still work them out for good because you would look at this and the persecuted church they were scattering and you would think what good could come from that but look it's moving into another area and along with the movement comes more spreading of the gospel and we've seen that the gospel cannot be stopped so those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You know, I think we need to go over that so many times because we all want to, we want our all of, we all want our lives to be comfortable and happy, and we we certainly don't want suffering, and and we think you know when things aren't aren't going easy, we think, well, Lord, do something when. He is. This is why this chapter is so good and so appropriate now in what we are going through in our country and with the election and that it, to me, reassures, it should anyway, it should reassure us that no matter how things turn out, we have a God who can use this. He knows how to take things. He knows how to take sufferings. He knows how to wake us up. He knows how to almost um, get, kick us out of our complacency if we have done that. And so here we go. And we see Philip, he is going down into the city of Samaria and he is proclaiming Christ there. So here we have the gospel in a whole new area. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So in the middle of this suffering, in the middle of the church's persecution, 
the message of Christ was getting out and and lives were changing and it says and, and there was great joy in that city. Whenever you see that word joy, you know that is the emotion that happens when you find Jesus. When you when you find him, there is a joy. And joy is so from within. Joy is the way you feel when you know that there isn't anyone or anything that can take your salvation from you. And these people are, are listening to Philip and he is proclaiming, he's proclaiming Christ. He's not afraid. And the gospel is is going into the Samaria area. Now, in, in the next part, part of this, you, you meet some very interesting people along the way here. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. Well, do you think that these people needed the gospel? I mean, they're looking at this sorcerer. And, and you know, maybe I should stop and kind of go through that a little bit. That, um, you know, Siberia was... Um, a pagan area before. And so then when you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have the power of Satan. There's only two powers, the power of God or the power of Satan. And in this pagan area, this man, Simon, was under Satan's power. And he was given much ability in fact, it said people both high and low. I mean, whether rich or poor or high society or low society or, or no matter whether you held an important position or whether you were just an average Joe, everybody knew him and really looked up to him and called him. And he was known as the great power. You could be so wrong. He's acting so right, but he was so wrong. Now, this whole thing with sorcery, you know, it is, and I looked it up, I just wanted to make sure that that um, I had a definition of, of what sorcery really is, and it is the use of black magic, which is the, it's under the influence of Satan's power. And the Bible talks a lot about witchcraft, sorcery. Sometimes people will ask, well, what does the Bible say about, you know, sorcery and, and uh, black magic and witchcraft? And Well, now you know, the Bible talks plenty about it. And it's really kind of interesting if you want to take the time is, you know, find out, find out. There's many passages. Deuteronomy 18 is one very good source. We all know that Ephesians 6, Paul talks about we must put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against Satan's schemes. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't like to um, talk about Satan, but, and I certainly don't, and you don't need to fear Satan's power, but we do have to respect it because it is a real thing. I mean, this man had real powers. Now, the Bible, when the Bible talks about sorcery and witchcraft and that he... God's word, remember, and Jesus is God's word. And the Bible basically says that, well, it condemns every, every and all forms of sorcery and witchcraft. 
It condemns. There isn't, there isn't any part of the verses that you will find that you will feel like they're, that the Bible is okay in it. It, is, it does not. And, and I, know, I know I get on this, and um, I don't, I don't want to get into it much, but unfortunately, you know, we're under the, the um, in our world today, and the whole Harry Potter um, series, and we know how many, many children have read these books and have been excited about them, and it's probably gotten more children to read and I know that a lot of teachers appreciate the literature because it does get the kids involved. And I will let you deal with that on your own, but I just watch this passage of Scripture and I hear the, the black and white um, Bible, what the Bible says. The, the, you know, there's just no gray area when it comes to this particular subject. And I think, you know what? We're playing with, with fire. And it can, it can be a source of the enemy, and it can grab people in. I know that many probably feel that it didn't hurt them one bit, but there are some, there's some vulnerable minds I mean, there's, there's many things going out there that, on out there that I think you just have to be smart and listen to, listen to what the Bible says. So as we continue with this, verse 11, they followed him because he, he had amazed them for a long time with this magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now that, verse 13, I think can be very confusing. Because later in this chapter, you see Peter's response to Simon. And you think, well, look at Simon himself believed and was baptized. I just want to make sure that you know there is such a difference in that word, believe. And it's very important that when you read how when the Bible tells you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... When you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, and there's the key, when you believe in your heart, and that's where the Holy Spirit then comes to dwell. And the Holy Spirit then will help you to believe truly from your heart. Now, here's a classic example of you can believe, but it but it's just a belief in your head. There's so many that, that um, oh, they could tell you the story of Jesus and how he came to this earth and he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and uh, they've, got the, they've got the details down. But they never really let their belief change their life. How do you know whether you have a belief from your heart or just a, a belief from your head like Simon? When you look in the mirror, can you tell a difference? Do you know that there's such an extraordinary difference in your relationship with Jesus? Your love for him, your desire to want to serve him, to obey, to worship, There's the difference. If you can't see any difference from where you were when you claim to believe in Jesus, if you can't see a radical change, and, and how do I know it should be radical? Well, because it's no longer you that's living, it's Christ that's living in you. There has to be a change. 
You are listening to the Spirit's voice now, not your own. It is not about you anymore. Do you know that the day that you come to know Christ as your Savior, your life is not your own anymore? It's not about you. And so that word believe is something, you know, we have to really consider because I think that there's such a danger in people when they say, well, I believe, I believe. But Simon believed, and he even went through the baptism. But it never changed him. It wasn't real. It was just a bunch of head knowledge. He still wanted to control his own life. He didn't want to surrender his life and handed it over to Jesus. And remember what what the Apostle Paul is going to say later when he writes to the people of Rome. In view of what Jesus has done for you, you offer yourself back to him. You surrender your life back to him. That is your greatest proof of what your salvation means is when you surrender your life over to him. Well, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that, that um, Pentecost, when we studied that in, in Acts chapter 2, remember that we were still in Jerusalem we had many nations coming together for the Feast of Pentecost. But it was Jewish people. And so then we saw Pentecost. We saw the Holy Spirit come to the Jewish people. And now as the, as the word, the gospel is being spread out, now we're in Judea and Samaria. Now they're receiving the gospel but now the Holy Spirit, Peter and John, are showing them how they can receive the Spirit. Now for us now, aren't you so grateful that you can tell somebody that on the day of their salvation, they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not a two-stepper anymore. It was back then. And I don't want that to confuse you, but remember, this is all new we can be assured that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within our lives on the day of our salvation. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, you know, they had no reason to doubt Simon when he believed and was baptized. And that's why we are now, when somebody professes to accept Christ and they follow through with baptism, I mean, we, we can't see in their heart. We just, we just believe that they believe it from their heart. But eventually, it will come out in your life. So here you have Peter and John who, I mean, their spiritual antennas are so in tune. And by the fact that Simon said, hey, um, let, let me buy this ability from you. They knew right away that, that he did not really believe. A life will eventually show itself phony or the real deal. And oh, this really bothered, this really bothered Peter. He answered, verse 20, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. I mean, Peter pretty much said, boy, did you show your real colors. 
Are you ever phony? How we can fool people, but you cannot fool God. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Simon, even though he might have followed the, the, the right visual, he wasn't real. He, his heart was not changed. In fact, Peter says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. I mean, Peter was appalled. And he said, you repent of that wickedness. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You're not out to change. You know, a lot of people, they want their ticket to heaven. They want to know that when they die, they're going to heaven. They'll do what they have to do, they think, and, and then, then they can live their own life the way they want. And, but that's not the way it works. God expects, not only when we are saved, he expects us then to surrender and serve because it isn't about us anymore. And so obvious, Simon was still all about Simon. And Peter confronted him and said, you know what, your heart is in such trouble. It's full of bitterness. And you haven't been set free of your sin. You're still captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Isn't that terrible? You think, you can just, you can just see that he has no desire wouldn't you think he would he would have been on his knees in humility saying, Ah, oh, I just didn't quite understand or I thought I could sneak that by and obviously I can and, and I'll I've been exposed and I'll repent and but instead he doesn't he doesn't take responsibility for his own. He wants he wants them. He wants Peter, pray, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. You don't hear about him again, do you? You don't hear about Simon. I, I, don't, I don't expect to see him in glory. I mean, that's just from what I see here because either there was no repentance. There was no real belief from his heart. There was no deny myself. So that is quite an important passage. And I think... Well, I, I, our pastor, he calls people um, unsaved Christians. They think they are so Christian. I mean, they might even sit in, the, in church. They might even think that because they do good things, they're Christian. But he calls them unsaved Christian because unless you come humbly and repent of who you are, you are going to miss the, the total terms of the salvation formula. Now, this, this part, the next part of this chapter, I think is, is just so beautiful. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I mean, the, the, here's the contrast. I think scripture is so good with contrast. Remember, I said a little while ago, look at the contrast between the religious leaders who didn't know the gospel, who didn't want to know Jesus, who chose to ignore him again. And you saw their actions versus 
Stephen, a man who was so full of the Spirit, so then he was full of wisdom and, and faith and grace and power. There's so many contrasts. And here's another one. We have just come off from what, what does it look like for when this person pretends to be a believer? Versus the real. Look at, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, from my understanding, there are two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that Philip was told by the Spirit to take the one seldom used the desert road. Now, here again, you have Philip, who is one of the seven deacons, and who again is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is going to be listening and obeying God's voice, no matter if it's not logical. Because I'm thinking to myself, things are just opening up in Samaria, and, and I mean, people are just listening, because look what it said in the first part of of chapter 8, when, when Philip proclaimed Christ and people were listening and they paid attention and people were believing and it's exciting and you think, oh, Philip, he would want to stay there for a while. I mean, it's a, go, it's a growing, going area. And yet the Holy Spirit tells him to go to Gaza and take the desert road. So he started out. See, this is, when, when you love him so much, it's like, trust him, when you trust him with all your heart, and you don't lean to your own understanding and all your ways you acknowledge him his way his purpose and he directs your path so he starts out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch and a, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace queen of the Ethiopians so this man was quite important. And he had come from Jerusalem and on his way home he is he, he, he runs into or Philip runs into him. I mean this is not coincidence. There's just no way. Can you ever look in look back in your life and you just know that the Lord was directing you in a, a way that you can't explain it? I mean, this would have been one of those times where Philip did not, would, would not be able to explain why he left Samaria, went down a deserted desert road, and he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, what? Put yourself in this picture. You've got this Ethiopian eunuch sitting there reading the book of Isaiah. Philip is, is listening to God's spirit tell him to do what he probably would have never done on his own. I mean, could you come up with a bazillion excuses? Like, oh, I don't want to bother him. 
Um, oh, I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, we've all come up with. I don't. I don't want to embarrass the guy. But this wasn't the case. Philip knew that the Holy Spirit told him to go to that chariot. And then sometimes I think you wonder, how does Philip know what to say? Well, the Lord saw to it that Philip heard him reading. And of course, Philip then recognized Isaiah 53. And that led him to the, to the automatic response, do you understand what you're reading there? I mean, what a, what a great entry. And then the eunuch says, how can I? Comes back with a logical, no, of course not. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So Philip started to explain after the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, which was he was led by the sh by sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. To know that the Lord gave Isaiah these prophetic words about Jesus himself. And so the eunuch has no idea. So he asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I don't think Philip had any trouble at all. And you know what? You won't either. I won't either. If we are willing to serve because we are so grateful for what he's done for us, the Lord, I told you last week, remember I showed you how the, the confident words that Jesus gave his disciples about the Holy Spirit will help you recall what you've learned. We saw it in Philip's sermon. We can know that the, the time and the study that we have given God's word when we need it, it will come back to us. And Philip was able to tell him that this Old Testament prophet was talking about Jesus. The Jesus who came to this earth and suffered and died and shed his blood for him. You know, I, I can't help but think, how many opportunities do we blow? Because we're either too nervous about ourselves, or we, we fear inadequacy. Do you know that that emotion, fear, is really a selfish emotion? When we, when we let fear, Fear overtake us. It's about us. What are people going to say? What are, yeah, yeah, all that. Fear is a selfish emotion. And that's why 365 times Jesus says that we don't have to fear. And yet we do. And I think how many opportunities. I mean, I, I know for a fact. I mean, I'm sure I blew it many times. But one in particular. This was, it was just exactly like this. The Lord had us in this one coffee shop. And I was waiting to sing in the, for an evening service. And so we were kind of stalling for time. And it was so clear that the Lord wanted me to just speak to this man in the next table. He was searching. He had a pile of books. He, all the Lord wanted me to do is put my hand on his shoulder and say, if you're willing to try all these books, 
Why don't you try God's book? And then see where a conversation led. Maybe, maybe it would have led nowhere. But he told me that's what he wanted me to say, to at least put that out there for this gentleman. You have this pile of books here. You're searching for answers. I happen to know the book who's got every answer you need. And I didn't do it. Got right up and walked out. Why didn't I? Well, you know, bottom line is that I, I didn't want to. And I blamed Tom. I, I really did. I blamed Tom thinking that, you know, I didn't want to embarrass him. But when I told him, he didn't let me get away with it. He says, don't you blame me for your disobedience. And to this day, I've told that story so many times, but it still reacts. I still react to it because I, I still keep thinking about this man that I failed. I just pray the Lord use someone else. But don't you ever wonder how many opportunities you've blown at somebody? Wonder if Philip, wonder, wonder if he had to come up with all his excuses. This, this eunuch would have never understood the gospel message. He never would have taken it back home to use his influence to spread the gospel? I, I have had a couple of times where I did listen, and it always proves worthwhile. One time, I, I, when I was singing, I was asked to sing for the Shriners. And I remember when they called me for their Christmas party and I said to them, I said, well, you know, Christmas to me is Jesus. And if you don't expect me to, to change my reason for Christmas, then I will certainly come and sing. Well, they said, no, you can sing whatever songs you want. Well, I went and I went one Christmas and, and I met this elderly gentleman and he was such a nice guy and he just took to me we just really did and then the next Christmas the next Christmas they asked me again and I did it again and this gentleman and I just got to be fast friends and it just gave me such opportunity to talk about Jesus and and then one day I was going to Bible study and I had a lady stop me in the back of church and she says you know that man you know from the Shriners and I had to think of it and, and then she described him and I said oh yeah well he is he doesn't have many days left to live he's right in Holland Hospital and he probably would just love a visit from you and my first thought was this was a Wednesday and I knew that the next day that I was leaving for Wisconsin for a long singing weekend, and I knew that that Wednesday night I had to do a, a banquet, and it just looked like it wasn't going to work. And, and yet the nagging thought when I was getting ready for that banquet Wednesday night, it was a dress up affair, and I remember, I remember saying to Tom, do you think you could just run me by Holland Hospital? I just want to run in and see this gentleman. And Tom did. And again, my first thought was, oh, what is that? Everybody going to say, you know, I'm in all my fancy dress and all this kind of stuff. And you know what? Once I walked into that hospital and I was walking in obedience, I didn't even care. I remember going up to that room and peeked around the corner and there he lay just full of tubes. And I walked in and I said hi. And he, you could tell by the look in his eye, he recognized me. And he said, singer. And I went and I took his hand. And I said to him, I said, I, I'm just here to make sure that you are ready to meet Jesus. 
I just want to make sure that you know him. Tears ran down his cheeks and he nodded at me and I prayed with him. And I was ready to leave and I turned around to give him another smile and he raised his hand to say goodbye and I left. You know, my first thought was, you know, I've got so much. I don't want to go to the hospital with that fancy dress. And what will people say? And then I have to leave for Wisconsin. I've just got so much. I'll do it when I get home Monday. Well, I came home Monday, and I opened the Holland Sentinel. And the first thing that jumped out at me was that man's obituary. And I would have missed that opportunity. The Lord has us on a mission, and it's not about us anymore. It is about him. He is worth it. Now, in verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. There's that word again. The root word of rejoice is joy. Remember in Acts Chapter 8 in the first part, and after Philip's preaching the gospel and proclaiming Christ, it's as though there was great joy in that city. See, you can't meet Jesus and not have joy. It doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. It doesn't mean you'll always be comfortable and happy. But joy is is something you don't ever want to miss. And you can only know that kind of joy when you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you're going to miss what real joy feels like. See, this is what Simon the sorcerer lacked. He never really met Jesus. And then it was still all about himself. I keep thinking of this song. I love it. I love it so much because it says, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. I've traded my shackles for this glorious song of joy. Praise God, I'm free at last. And unless you know Jesus, you are not going to know what that freedom really feels like and what that joy really feels like. And I think we've seen a real contrast. And so it's, again, it's your call. When the Spirit came out of the water, or when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip. Boy, that, that had to been a sight, huh? All of a sudden, Philip is gone. But, you know, you don't read anything about the eunuchs and, now what in the world happened here? No, he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He had met... Jesus. Philip explained Isaiah 53 and he understood and he accepted it and his sins were symbolically washed away through the baptism of that water. But the eunuch knew that his sins were washed away by the blood of the lamb. Just like you and I can know that. That is a freedom like none other. Philip 
however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. When you're filled with the Spirit, when your life has been changed because you believed from the depths of your heart and you've watched self leave and it isn't about you anymore, when you've watched this change in your life, you want that. You want that for people. And I prayed at the beginning, how can people know? Just like, just like the eunuch said to Philip, no, I don't understand it. How can I know unless you explain it? We can't assume everybody understands. And that's why Paul said it. How can you expect them to believe if they don't know what to believe in and how they're going to know what to believe in unless they're hearing and how they're going to hear unless you and I are willing to be obedient to God's spirit and, and trusting that he will show us exactly what to say. Because people need the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you so much for just kind of showing us our responsibility that yes, of course, we are, we are saved by grace and grace alone. But you do expect us to work out our salvation. We don't work for it, but we do work out our salvation. When we stand in front of Jesus someday, will we be able to give an account of what we've done with our salvation? How many people really do know because we were willing to tell them? Father, may this really rattle us that we realize that we have, we have days on this earth and it isn't about us. It is about you and for you. Father, we just give you glory. We pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.